Hello, this is Gene Wilhelm, and today we'll be examining the scriptures for the third Sunday in Ordinary Time in Cycle B. That will be January 24th, 2021. Uh, we don't always have a second opportunity to answer God's call as Jonah did in our first reading. Too often the response is one of reluctance, if not outright refusal, either out of fear, fear of the unknown, or an outlook that uh, focuses on potential negative consequences and what that will do on our desires for ourselves. Though the Gospels give us a variety of accounts of the Apostles' call, they all agree upon an immediate response to follow Jesus. May the Apostles be our role model in hearing and responding to Jesus' call in our own life. The the immediacy is something that's very important in all of these readings, but the other thing that's so important that we don't see, and we're going to spend a few minutes on this before we get into the readings themselves, is obedience. Uh, obedience to what God says, either directly or through somebody else. Uh, and the consequences of disobedience uh, can be seen in scriptures such as First uh, Samuel fifteen twenty two. Uh, and previous to that, Saul had had a great victory and he wasn't obedient to Samuel and how he was supposed to do, do the conquering and uh, how he was supposed to celebrate. And Saul was disobedient to Samuel. And so God tells Samuel in that place, obedience is better than sacrifice. And then again, uh, it's God doesn't always choose the best person in the world. He wouldn't have chosen Jonah if he'd been choosing something who was, who was tremendous. He wouldn't have chosen Peter if he was uh, Peter if he was looking for somebody who had no flaws whatsoever. The flaw that comes to my mind most immediately is that in first, uh, pardon me, in, in Matthew chapter sixteen, uh, you know, in sixteen. 18, he tells Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and Jesus then appoints him head of the church. And then if you look in verses 16 to 23, or pardon me, 8, 21 to 23, which immediately follow this, you see that Jesus is doing his first prophecy of the passion. And Peter says that that can't be. That's just totally not true. It can't be. It's not the way it's supposed to happen. And then Jesus calls him a Satan. The third example is... Uh, one that I think you can see in Luke 9:54, we see the, that James and John, John who who was we saw in last week's gospel was uh, following Jesus, and John, if you look at his gospel and in his epistles, you see that he's the he's the uh, the evangelist that talks so much about love, and. A Samaritan village had rejected Jesus and his disciples because they were headed to Jerusalem. And what James and John want to do is to call down fire on that village and destroy them. Now, God could use these men, these flawed men, anyway. So let's take a look at the first reading. And, and when you, you look at Jonah, you see a man that was greatly flawed. And in order to get a... I, I really recommend that you read the whole book of Jonah. It's only four chapters long, and in most... Uh, Bibles, it's fewer than it's few, four pages or fewer. So, uh, it's it's not a heavy read, but it's got a big message in it. And in order to understand the reading that we have today, we we need to go back and look at the first three verses in Jonah chapter one. It says the word of Yahweh was addressed to Jonah, son of Amittai. Up, he said, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to them that their wickedness has forced itself upon me. 
Jonah set out and ran away from Yahweh and going to Tarshish. He went down to Jaffa and found a ship bound for Tarshish. He paid his fare, boarded it, and to go with them to Tarshish to get away from Yahweh. Now, Jonah didn't want to do what God told him to do. And uh, you know what the consequences of that were is that a great storm came up and uh, Jonah was eventually thrown into the sea because we told the sailors that he was trying to get away from his God who made the heaven and the earth. So they threw him in the sea and a big fish swallowed him up and the fish eventually uh, vomited him up on the shore. Now, in the, so and to see Jonah is not really thinking straightly because if you look at Psalm 139 verse 7, it says, Where shall I go to escape your spirit? Where shall I flee to your, from your presence? So Tarshish was considered the end of the world. And Nineveh, I mean, Jonah was, was, was uh, logical in his fear of going to Nineveh. <clears throat> the Ninevites were a very fierce people. They were enemies of the Jews. Uh, Jonah was in the northern kingdom, and you can, you can find him. I think it's in uh, 2 Samuel 14.25 he's mentioned. So there is no reason for him to want to go there because he is probably facing execution if he went to Nineveh. So he decided not to go. The other thing is that Jonah didn't think that salvation was available to anybody other than the Jews. For God to issue salvation to uh, a Gentile was totally unthinkable to him. And it's, 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 in some ways, that's very much like us. Uh, and we can, we can, we can do what we want to do. Uh, but are we doing what God wants us to do? So let's look at it. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Now, Jonah's name means dove, which is quite interesting. When you look at, uh, read this, this whole book of Jonah, you'll see that he was very much a hawk rather than a dove. It says, saying, set out for the great city of Nineveh and announce to it the message I will tell you. So God is speaking directly to Jonah and telling him he's to be a prophet to this fierce uh, enemy nation uh, of Gentiles. And this time it says, so Jonah made ready and went to Nineveh. If I'd been Jonah and I'd fallen, uh, I've been thrown overboard trying to get away from God because I was trying to escape the call to go to Nineveh, swallowed by a fish, vomited up on the land, and God came to me a second time and said, go to Nineveh, I probably would rather face the consequences in Nineveh as to what would possibly happen to me if I disobeyed one more time, said no. Now, Nineveh was an enormously large city. So the, the words that are used here are uh, words that indicate hyperbola. It's, so it's Nineveh is a city much larger than anything that any Jew would have had, had experienced, particularly Samaria or Jerusalem. So it, it's saying that it's huge. Now, Nineveh was a larger. It took three days to go through it. Again, you got the number three here, which is number of God, the, the Trinity. It Holy, holy, holy that you see in Isaiah 6, chapter 6 with Isaiah in the temple. It's God's number. So it's 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 take, it'll take exactly what God wants to it to take to get through the city. And it began, Jonah began his journey through the city and gone but a single day's walk, announcing forty days more, and Nineveh shall be destroyed. Now, forty days again is a number that, that the Jews would have been very familiar with, and you can you can see that 
it suggests the flood, which you would, which uh, is in, in Genesis, the 40 days of rain, 40 days and 40 nights of rain, the Israelites 40 days in the desert. Another one that's maybe not as obvious is uh, in 1 Kings chapter 19, uh, Elijah had just killed all the prophets of Baal in Samaria, which is the northern kingdom, which is where Jonah was from. And Jezebel, the queen, threatened to kill him, and he started running. So he ran all the way through the northern kingdom into the southern kingdom, and then at the end of the southern kingdom, uh, he stopped, and God told him to go to Horeb, which is Sinai. And and so it, it says that in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 8, so he got up and ate and drank and strengthened by the food, walked for 40 days and 40 nights until he reached God, Horeb, God's mountain. So he went, it took him 40 days to go back and to find God. In a sense, he'd lost God and lost his confidence in God when Jezebel had threatened him. So the 40 is a day of preparation, a time of preparation. It's a time of uh, repentance, uh, why we have 40 days of Lent. And if, and if you look in Matthew's gospel, uh, all the gospels, well, we'll look at Mark chapter 1, verses 12 to 13. After Jesus' baptism, it says that once or immediately the Spirit drove him into the desert and he remained there for 40 days and 40 nights and was tested by Satan. It's a, 40 represents a time of preparation. It represents a time of repentance. It represents uh, a, a getting ready for the next phase of your life. So, so 40 days more and Nineveh shall be destroyed. When the people of... Uh, when the people of Nineveh believed God, so the people of Nineveh believed God, believed what Jonah was saying to them, which is really interesting because if you look at the the New Jerusalem Bible note uh, for Jonah 3, note B says, this is an exemplary conversion of the Ninevites was recalled in the Gospels in Matthew 12, 41, Luke 11, 32. Here is in the Gospels, this is, the, is constant, constant, contrasted with the incredulity of the Jews. So this, this is saying that you Jews are not being converted. You do not repent from your sins where these pagans do. And it, I'm just going to quote you, or read from you from Matthew 12, 41. It says, on judgment day, Jesus is talking to a, a bunch of Jews. On judgment day, the men of Nineveh will rise, will appear against this generation and they will be its condemnation, because when Jonah preached, they repented, and look, there is something greater than Jonah here. So the, the, he's talking about the Jews' rejection of him. So they believed, they proclaimed a fast, and all of them put on, great and small, put on sackcloth and ashes, and uh, which are symbols of, of repentance and mourning. When God saw their actions, how they had Turned from their evil ways, he repented of the evil that he had threatened to do them. He did not carry it out. Again, the people repented, and in the people's mind, God repented. You know, God God doesn't change his mind. Uh, and in the Old Testament, we see that uh, God is seen frequently as a as a uh, vengeful person rather than the loving person that we see in the New Testament. Uh, and they, the Old Testament, didn't really see that often as often as as we do it from in new testament times that uh actions have consequences so the actions had consequences and when they changed their actions when they repented and changed their ways 
they were then not suffering the consequences that would come from that. And uh, there's also, you can look at Jeremiah 26.3 for another instance of that. Now, I'm going to take a quick look at the psalm because the, the, the response is, teach me your way, O Lord. And there are three verses in, in the psalms that I think uh, we need to look at on this. So this is talking about we're, we're on the wrong path, get us on the right path. And uh, Psalm 86.11 says, teach me, Yahweh, your ways that I may not be stray from your loyalty. Let my heart's one aim to fear your name. From his loyalty, not only our loyalty to him, but his loyalty to us. If we get ourselves in a situation where we're not near God, God can't help us because we've turned our back on him. And then Psalm 27 verse 11 says, Yahweh, teach me your way. Lead me on the path of integrity, which is sometimes also translated righteousness because of my enemies. And then Psalm 119.35 says, guide me in the way of your commandments for my delight is there. Too many of us don't find our delight in God's ways. We find delight. We find our delight in our own ways and the ways of the world. With that, let's take a look at the gospel. The gospel is short, and uh, it it's very appropriate that that we see uh, this gospel immediately after the gospel that we read last week, where James, or pardon me, John and Andrew followed Jesus after being having Jesus pointed out by John the Baptist. So they became acquainted with Jesus there. Now there's so many there are three or four different accounts of how exactly how this happened this call but they're all probably really true and they probably had encounters with Jesus uh, several times and so this is the one that Mark recalls and remember Mark wrote his gospel based on what Peter told him had happened so uh, after John had been arrested Jesus was no longer went to Judea for a long time Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the gospel. Now, again, Galilee is a means a circle, so it's a circle of cities around the northern uh, part of the Sea of Galilee, and it was a t- place where there were not only Jews but Gentiles living. Uh, there were pockets of Jews and pockets of Gentiles. So again, Jesus probably came there because he came to save the whole world, not only just save the Jews but to save the whole world. And uh, so it, we need to take a look at that. Uh, And he says, the time, this is the time of fulfillment. Now, the word time here is that kairos, which isn't a calendar time, but it means uh, an appropriate time. So the the time is, 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 we're right on the appropriate time for God to come and save his people in the way that he promised back in in Genesis chapter 3 in the garden after Adam and Eve fell. The time of fulfillment. Now, fulfillment is, is that Greek word which uh, to make, replete, or full. Some some uh, some translate uh, some <coughs> Hebrew to English dictionaries will say "cram full" like a net, super full of net, uh, or some. It's so it's so full that there's no more room. So the time, the kind, God's time is almost complete. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, that metanoia. This is Jesus saying it. And you, and you can look back, uh, you can look back again and you can, you can see in John, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, that J, uh, John the Baptist says the same, same thing. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is close at hand. 
So Jesus is continuing that message that John had done. John was the forebearer, so he set the stage for Jesus. And Jesus is saying, okay, John's out of the picture. I'm going to come, and I'm going to give you the same message, but I'm going to give you that baptism with water and the Spirit, not just a baptism of of water. I'm not going to give you a baptism of repentance only. I'm going to give you a baptism that is one of salvation. Repent and believe the gospel. The gospel, again, is good news. So now we come to where you can look in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, and Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22, to see Matthew and Luke's account of what's coming on. So he's passing by the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting their nets in the sea, which really aligns with with uh, what's going, what he's doing. So because they were fishermen, so they were doing what they would normally do in their normal day. They were out fishing, and Jesus sees them fishing, and he says, come after me, and I will make you fishers of men. You know how to fish. You know how to bring in a catch. I'm going to show you how that you can you can catch men for me using the skills and the knowledge that you've already developed. Uh, that's that's very interesting, isn't it? Come and I will make you fish. It says they abandoned their nets and followed him. And that word followed is to be on the same way or to accompany. And it's the same thing that it says in same Greek word that it's used in John chapter 1, verse 40, where it says that John and Andrew were following, followed Jesus. Abandoned their nest. They left everything behind and stopped. It's unfortunate that the uh, New American Bible translation, which we use during Mass in the U.S., leaves out the word immediately. Other translations will say uh, a word that means a word that means either immediately or straight away. They abandoned their nets and followed him. This isn't at all like Jonah's first response that we see in the Old Testament. Jonah turned the other way and ran. This isn't the response that many of us do today uh, when we are called to do something for, for God and we, we go off and we say, well, I'll have to pray about that, which is a cop-out for saying, I really don't want to do it. And I'm trying to think of an excuse why I don't have to do this. They, did, they left everything. And Peter was a very successful fisherman, he and Andrew, and they left it all behind. Now, they didn't know, just, just like when, they fo- when Andrew and Jay, uh, John followed Jesus in last week's gospel, they didn't know how long that following was going to be. They just thought it was for an afternoon. And we can't tell here whether the thought process is that they were only going to be following for an afternoon or a week or whatever, but they were going to follow him. So they were called to be his disciples. He was the rabbi. And so... Uh, we need to understand understand that they did what they thought they were supposed to do. And at that time, they were honored that this, this rabbi would call them. And we need to understand that, that we are offered the same opportunities many times. The, the 
thing that is so interesting here is that uh, he he doesn't stop there. He walks farther along and saw James and and John, the sons of Deb- Zebedee. They were two. They too were in a boat mending their nets. So they'd finished for the day, but they were with their dad. They were in business with their dad, and uh, they uh, they didn't. They weren't ready to to do anything. They were washing their nets and they were finishing up for the day. And Jesus says the same things. They, they too were in their boat. He called them. He called them just like he called Peter and uh, Simon and. Uh, Andrew. So they left their father Zebedee, that's pretty bold, and went along with the hired men and followed him. So the whole concept here is that they were following Jesus. And so they were, in a sense, they were doing metanoia here as well as the metanoia uh, that, that the people of Nineveh did, the change of direction, change of heart, change, uh, asking for forgiveness in Nineveh, they were changing. Here we see Peter and Andrew, or Simon and Andrew and James and John changing what they were doing. They were going to follow this rabbi and become one of his students. So are we willing to do that? And I think if we look at the second reading and, and, and we come back to, uh, to, it kind of draws it all together in a sense because the second reading is from 1 Corinthians 7, 29 to 31. And at first blush, it doesn't look as though the second reading has anything to do with what we've been talking about. But it does, really. because uh, It says, I tell you, brothers and sisters, time is running out. Again, kairos is the word that's used there. Not chronos, which is uh, clock time or calendar time, but kairos, which is uh, a period of time, uh, God time, Okay. So the difference between God's seven days of, of creating the earth was kairos. Our thoughts is that it was seven calendar days. God's time is different. You know, Peter tells us one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. Uh, so from now on, I'm just going to read the whole thing, then I'm going to go back and talk about it a little bit. Now, from now on, those having what? How wise act as if not having them. Those weeping is not weeping. Those rejoicing is not rejoicing. Those is buying is not owning. Those using the world is not using it fully. For the world in its present form is passing away. So, really, what this reading is talking about is a repentance from abuse of the things of this world. I'm going to take a look at Second Corinthians six two. Uh, going back to the very first, it says time is running out. First Corinthians six two says, "At at the time of my favor, I have answered you. On the day of salvation, I have helped you." This is what God said. Well, now is the real time of favor. Now is the day of salvation. Uh, when we are called to do these things, we're called to an immediate response. We are called to get up and change what we need to change. That's so difficult, isn't it? Because we are so comfortable with our own lives that we really don't want to do that sort of thing. And I'm going to read the note uh, from 2 Corinthians chapter 6, note A. It talks about there's an intermediate period between the time of Christ's coming and his return. This period is the day of salvation, the time allowed for conversion. It is granted to the remnant of Jews, though 
the, and to the Gentiles as well, though the duration is uncertain, this time of pilgrimage that we have here must be regarded as being short and full of trials and sufferings, which are prelude to the glory to come. So we we don't know how long it is. If if you if if you're waiting for a deathbed conversion before you uh, you uh, it may not come. You may die in the car, or you may die of a heart attack before you have time to do that that conversion and repentance. So it's now. Uh, Romans 13, 12, 11 and 12 says something very similar. Besides, you know, the time has come. The moment is here for you to stop sleeping, which we saw several times, I think, in, in uh, Advent, and wake up, or in the end of the last year, because ne by now our salvation is nearer than we first began to believe. The night is nearly over. Daylight is on the way. So let us throw off everything that belongs to the darkness and equip ourselves with the light. So throw, cast off all the things that you choose to do in darkness and pick up and do what it is that God wants you to do right now. Uh, uh, and going down to the end there, for the world in its, its present form is passing away. Uh, two verses, one from Peter and one from John. First Peter 4, 7 says, The end of all things is near, so keep your minds calm and sober for prayer. So where is your focus? Is your focus on the things of this world or is your focus on the things of God? First John 2, uh, 16 and 17, everything there is in the world, disordered bodily desire, disordered desires of the eyes, pride and possession is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world with all its disordered desires is passing away. But whoever do, does the will of God remains forever. So the basic question comes down to, do you want to live forever with God or do you want to live forever with Satan and his minions in hell? And the, the, it's your choice. God is not going to force anything on you. Uh, so, these re so the second reading is really talking about once you've answered the call, then your, the rest of your life needs to change to align itself with the call that God has on you. We aren't to be like Jonah who was obedient, but he never really changed his heart. He still wanted God to destroy the Ninevites. And after God spared the Ninevites, he was really angry with God for that God had been merciful to the Ninevites. But God could still use Jonah. So God can use us regardless of where we are. So the readings call us to respond positively to an invitation that God is sending us. No, we may not know what the future is going to hold when we answer that call, but isn't this the case with most decisions that we make in life? Why not make a decision that has eternal consequences rather than fearing the temporal outcome? And with that, I'm going to say good, goodbye for today. And I wish you all a very happy and blessed week. And may God bless you all abundantly.